Hi, this is Phil Rosenthal, and you're listening to the What Difference Does It Make podcast. Hey, Holly. Hey, Dave. Welcome to the What Difference Does It Make podcast. How are you today? I am very, very happy to be here today. How are you doing today? I'm good. We've got some great guests. And who is stepping into our neighborhood? We have two fantastic guests today. We are welcoming back David Wild, who was on, on the podcast a couple months ago. Writer, comedic, brilliant writer. We, just call him brilliant. The brilliant, <laughs> the brilliant David Wild. I'm sure he would accept that. And he brought a friend along, a playmate, so to speak. He did. We have Phil Rosenthal who does a wide variety of things, but he has a show on Netflix called Somebody Feed Phil. And it is a fantastic show, which I highly recommend. But he also is a prolific TV producer. He created Everybody Loves Raymond. And he's he is fabulous and he's funny. And let's just bring them on in. Yeah, we have two very funny people who also share a love of Bruce Springsteen. So we initially try and talk food, but it just goes right to Springsteen. It quickly de-escalated from food to Springsteen. It did de-escalate. That, that, was, <laughs> that was true, which was perfectly all right in my book. So let's get into it. This is David Wilde and Phil Rosenthal talking Springsteen and a little bit of food on the What Difference Does It Make podcast. Hey. Hello. Hello. <laughs> Welcome, Phil and Dave. Hi, Holly. Hi, so David. Hi. Yes. Welcome, oh, Phil. So nice to meet you. I, I'm in uh, what used to be my son's old bedroom, and my wife put in this torture device here. A torture. The, <laughs> is that a Pilates? Like what it is, is? It is Pilates. Yeah. But I'm allowed to come in here when I have my zooms. <laughs> oh, you're allowed. Okay. Unless she's, you know, doing Cirque du Soleil over there. <laughs> have you attempted any of that? Yes, I have. It's a waste of time. Okay. All right. <laughs> Not. It's just really hard. Maybe that. Uh, <laughs> maybe that's my excuse. <laughs> yes. But I, I, you know, I'm old fashioned. I like the weights. I like the, the cardio. And David likes to run or walk or. He's what, a big what? walker. Yeah. Walk. You, you're a walker. Okay. The wife is the runner and you just kind yeah. of. Try and yes. keep up. Like, okay, so both, I think all of us, we just try and keep up with the wives, basically. Dave, are you in a garage? Yeah, you know what? Like, <laughs> I, I am much like the the refurbished uh, kitchen that's going on in David's room. My, my yeah. master bedroom is uh, going through some changes. And so everything's... But it looks yeah. like you've got a pro setup there. Oh, it looks pro, right? Yeah, it's all <laughs> smoke and mirrors, really. It's... And it's and Holly, are you in a closet? <laughs> I'm in my office that doubles as a, you know, yeah, a treadmill. treadmill. Yeah. Tried to make it look a little more, you know, I've gotten gotten some pro tips. Nice. <laughs> but I'm waiting, you know. Yeah. No, it's a little bigger than a closet. A little. It is. I know. Yeah. Uh, Just try. I can see both. We're trying. <laughs> We're desperately trying. I, although I would happily trade out my treadmill for the Pilates. That would be a nice thing to have at home. Oh, let me see if my wife will sell it to you. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know what happened to it. It just disappeared. Yeah. Yeah. Well, there's two things that you should know going into this. One, they only interviewed me a few months ago to get to you. No. And uh, two, we like Holly. I can't, I'm not going to say anything else about 
any other person who runs the podcast uh, that we much like Holly. I like them both, Dave. Thank I you, Dave. And thank you. The diplomat. I'm an equal <laughs> opportunity, yeah. Honestly, he offered you up without any prompting. It was really kind of really? freaky. I was like, why Why are you offering up Phil for no reason? But, uh, you know, like, okay, we're go- we'll take him. Well, because you knew he'd... Trying to get exposure for this young kid in the business. <laughs> <laughs> okay, wait, before anything, can I ask you, you, you have not lost your accent at all. I'm talking to Phil. You don't have oh. that Tenafly accent anymore, David. Yeah, you still have your, your New York accent. New York uh, thing, yeah, I guess. I don't know. It was hard-earned. <laughs> I'm not like Bruce. Bruce Springsteen. <laughs> he gets, uh, as my friend says, he gets twangy. Like, uh, Bruce, you're not a cowboy. You're from New Jersey. <laughs> I mean, he's got the Western Sky. That just came out. He that does. Came out. He, likes so he, likes- he likes playing a role. When he's writing, I think he's a great writer, and he gets into character. And a lot of the songs have a kind of Western twang to it, don't they? Yeah. It's, it's- kind of like Madonna adopting that British accent. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Now, and when- He's less pretentious on him. <laughs> When you're out on the road, I, I hear you like to eat and go places in different <laughs> yes, countries. Heard that. Do you find like sometimes these accents kind of uh, come out of you mistakenly? Yes. Yeah. Yes. You know, everybody has a little bit of zelig in them. You try to <laughs> you try to kind of fit in with who you're with, and like we just did a show in, in uh, a southern part of the world, and and I you find yourself you know wanting to talk that way. It's kind of fun. Are you good? So, so give us a little sample, and we'll try and guess where you were. Uh, is it like is it like gefilte fish, y'all? Yes, that's right. By the way, I have some Jewish relatives in Atlanta who literally say shalom, y'all. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't think there were any Jews in Atlanta. Yeah, there's a few. Yeah, you oh, you can get that. Nobody I've, likes them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's my wife's from Texas, and she has yeah. they have the shalom, y'all, welcome, Matt, yeah. and yeah, isn't that great? Yeah. Why not? Why not? <laughs> okay, so since we're talking hometowns and things like that, and it's the holidays, <laughs> and food seems to be centered around that, can we talk about like uh, like some some memories, some Hanukkah things, and uh, like foods that uh, that you think of, when, like during Hanukkah time that you have to eat? Does it have to? Do you have recipes? Anything like that? What kind of show is this? I don't know. <laughs> I just want to. Uh, I'm going to say latkes. How's that for an answer? All right. <laughs> but I mean, is, David, is, there, is there something that David, needs. you want to fight me on that? No, no. In fact, Phil won't admit this, but like a couple of years ago, I was asked to write the the biannual Reformed Jewish uh, Hanukkah celebration, like national Hanukkah celebration, and it was the nanny co-hosted Fran Drescher. And so, uh, but for that, Phil and I went to uh, the deli uh, on Fairfax and Cantor? did a whole Cantor? segment on his favorite Hanukkah foods. There, there's some great delis in Los Angeles. In fact, Langer's Deli was chosen by, I think, Nor Ephron wrote about it in the New Yorker magazine and said, the best pastrami sandwich in America is at Langer's, not New York. Hands down. And I believe it. It's true. I think she was right. I think that's the best pastrami sandwich because the bread, the pastrami, I think is equally good at Katz's. I really do. But the bread at Katz's in New York is a Shonda. 
And <laughs> bread at Langer's is the best rye bread in the world. And speaking of delis, we often used, well, we used to go often to Art's Deli where Phil and Ray had their first meeting and where Everybody Loves Raymond was born at Art's Deli at Art's where, Deli. Phil, what is true of every sandwich? Every sandwich is a work of art. Still, yeah. next, I went to Art's Deli for a sick friend, a sick, famous actor friend. I went to pick up matzo ball soup in like, I said to my wife, let's bring him some soup. So somehow it was $118 of matzo ball soup that I picked up. Are they gold matzo balls? <laughs> yes. That's right, at those prices. But I brought, I picked it up and I was thrilled to find out that Licorice Pizza, they've set up a built a store, the licorice pizza store right next door to art. So you can have matzo ball soup at $118 and <laughs> go to licorice pizza, <laughs> which is cheaper. When I went to see my first Springsteen show in 1984, <laughs> I spent the night in front of a licorice pizza in West Hills, California to get tickets for, for his Born in the USA tour. I, my oh. first tour was the River Tour. Uh, uh, not to one-up you, Dave. Yeah. 1980. <laughs> Fine. All right. When And Nassau, or where'd you, where'd you go? Nassau Coliseum. That's mm -hmm. one of the famous recordings, actually. And my first Springsteen concert was 1980. Also, the River Tour at Madison Square Garden. Even and my, my brother and I went to my father, who was a New Jersey businessman, not directly in the mob, but apparently <laughs> mob adjacent enough so that when I said, Dad, we really want to see this Bruce Springsteen guy we love, my older brother and I both begged. And he goes, do you really want this? And we said, yeah. He goes, I'm going to call a favor in. Oh. And he literally told us, okay, go see the maitre d', go into the city, go to the maitre d' of Sparks Steakhouse, which was the site of a famous mob hit around this time. And he, this, the maitre d' handed us two tickets that I believe, I have this vague memory, there might have been blood on the uh, envelope. <laughs> But we got these tickets and we sat next to Max Weinberg's mother at the River Show at Madison Square Garden. Oh so I'll never There forget. was blood on her, too. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Take the tickets, drop the cannoli. Is that what they told you? Or it might have been. It might have been. It was like that situation. I thought they might have been, you know, go to the toilet. You know, the tickets are taped to the inside of the toilet tank. <laughs> Don't come out. I have a feeling somebody <laughs> died for room. that. Somebody with a hungry heart died for those. Oh, my. Good one. Nice. <laughs> well, you guys all have me beat. I'm pretty sure born in the USA was my first. We have you beat by being older. Uh, yeah. No, not not much. You said that last time. <laughs> so have you guys watched the, uh, the No Nuke show yet? I have to say, I haven't seen this new compilation yet. About to watch tonight. Um, no spoilers. I bought it on Apple thing and I'm, I'm having a few people over having pizza and we're watching it on a very big screen with a big sound. And I couldn't be more excited because the first time I heard Bruce Springsteen, I was 15 years old and somebody played me born to run. And I thought this guy is a singer. This is, singing? <laughs> this, what is this? And it scared were you, me. Were you older I then? I was 15, yeah. but I was always 80. Right. <laughs> is he Jewish? Yeah. Is that what is that what your first question was? Uh, uh, maybe I like it. Springsteen? Sure. It's <laughs> got to be it. Jewish. <laughs> That's what it sounded like to me. <laughs> okay. I'm like, well, uh, uh, it's not for me. And then I go to college and people are circulating these tapes, these bootleg tapes. And I hear the humor in him and the joy and the fun and the power. And I get it. 
Now, this is pre-MTV. This is 1977. This is pre-everything. There's no way to see him unless you're going to the show. Well, once I started becoming addicted to the tapes, then I was getting all the albums. Then I was becoming a rabid fan. And here comes this No Nukes movie in 79. And now I get to see him at least. And for those of you who don't know, No Nukes is a compilation of many artists of the time, James Taylor, Carly Simon, Jackson, Brown, Bonnie Raitt, a lot of great, all my favorites from the 70s, really. It's really a time capsule if, you, if you're lucky enough to see it. I don't even know how you can see that movie today. So there's three Springsteen songs. And I remember, because I saw it many times. It was the first time I ever saw him. Thunder Road, The River, and Quarter to Three. When you see Quarter to Three, you become a Springsteen fan. I don't care who you are. Yeah. You you may be able to you sit through the river. I get it, though. Good song. Thunder Road, great song. Quarter to Three, this is undeniable. You are seeing rock and roll personified. You are seeing the joy, the majesty, the power, everything about performance, rock, childlike enthusiasm, just joy, joy, joy. And from that moment on, I had to do whatever I could do to see this person live. And the next year was the River Tour, 1980. And I remember my mother's friend's daughter got tickets. And I said she was about five years younger than me. So I'm 20 at this time. And I say that I will marry you if you will let me go to this show. (laughs) I was lying, but... That's how deeply I wanted to go. And so I took, 20-year-old, took three 15-year-olds to the show. And the one crying was me. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So from that point on, yes. So to answer your question, I haven't seen this whole thing, but I've seen the three songs from it. And I cannot wait to watch because I hear this is like the Holy Grail. This is him at his peak, you know. If you if you think his yeah. his filet mignon years were seventy five to eighty five, this is right in the middle. This is peak peak peak. A human lightning bolt on stage, right? If you saw that tour, wow! I can't I can't wait. And this is they were recording, as I understand. Correct me if I'm wrong. They were recording the River album in seventy nine, yeah. and he did something that he swore he wouldn't do, which is go on stage while they're recording because he didn't want to break up that energy real that focus. And he went on, he did a 90 minute set two nights. And this is the best of the two nights, I believe in 90 minutes. Right. Yeah. And the thing you said, it's interesting about quarter to three. Yeah. It's there's a certain moment where I was going back over my love of Springsteen, where I realized, I think the amazing thing about him is when you go through all of rock history in certain ways, I think I speak for both of us, Phil, he's kind of our favorite. And yet I will say the fact that you said that about quarter to three is it makes me think that he is the greatest figure in popular music history who is not a real original. I think what he is is someone who synthesized so much that is great in music and such a student of it and so much passion for the form of the rock star. Quarter to three is a Gary U.S. Bond song. A couple yep. of years later, uh, you know, I didn't know who Gary U.S. Bonds yep. was until he, he brought him out with him. Right. And he produced him and he did yep. that little girl. And yep. the, actually the record after that, which I think is much better than that. And he made me love Gary U.S. Bonds yes. just in the same way. I think for our generation, for Phil and I, I'll only speak it for us. 
I think he synthesized, because we're old, I he synthesized what was great about Dylan. We felt the thrill of what people, like, we don't really remember when Like a Rolling Stone hit or or when the Beatles hit. But I think the closest we had was that moment where Bruce Springsteen hit and was the cover of Time, the cover of Newsweek, where we really felt he really became, he brought us the thrill of the new and reinvented Fogarty and reinvented Dylan and reinvented Chuck Berry and reinvented Gary Bonds. He did all of that. You and know, Elvis. And Elvis, exactly. Know. He brought all of that alive for us so that we felt it through him. And and so I, I think in a weird way, he like when we, people are talking about the Beatles right now because of the, you know, the movie and all that. I think Bruce is still my favorite of all of them, even though in my heart, he's not the inventor of as much as other people, but he is the perfecter and the embodiment of so much of it for me. That's well said. And and he's such a, a student and a lover of the what came before him. And he honors it in every show, right? Yeah. I think there's a case to be made. This is a big statement. Greatest sure. performer who ever lived. I have one argument against that, which is Prince. Also I, great. But even he didn't command the arena or the stadium with such fervent religious uh, zeal, even he, yet as quite as high I, talent, no question. But as a, I don't know, a charismatic figure. Like you could see yourself in, you see Prince dance in six inch heels, and you're like, I can't yeah. do that. Then you see Bruce yeah. dance, and like, oh yes. yeah, he's just he's just a goofball having fun. And like I could, I could see myself in that, or you can kind of imagine yourself, like you I mean, yeah, you right, right, exactly. <laughs> like you watch the Rosal, you watch the Rosalita video. Like I wish, I mean, I could see, you know, you see that passion, and there's like an I want girls that, to want, you know, to love me yes, like that. There's an energy that is superhuman. There's an energy. It's, I don't even think Prince could do what Bruce does for four hours. Well, I think Prince died trying to continue being Prince at his age and it's i think but no he couldn't, one he couldn't even dance anymore because he was so damaged by the crazy moves that he did right which yeah, which led to the to the wow. the painkillers because he he really hurt his hips and legs he was phenomenal no denying it i think the thing is we saw i saw hyde park at your house phil yeah where bruce is like that's bruce just like at the point of exhaustion just yeah. in front of the biggest crowd in the world but yeah. the truth is phil went to see bruce on broadway before me and told me you have to go and then when i went I, I think I called you right after and I said, yeah. it's the best thing I've ever seen. Because, <laughs> and and I, I mean, literally in popular yeah. culture, that was the best night I ever had watching anyone do anything. And I've seen great people on Broadway, great actors. But the truth is, I like the Broadway more than any of the physically exhaustive performances because every word counted. And I, I remember a phrase he said, like talking about Clarence and talking about the sort of racial symbolism of what, you know, what they were doing. And I thought this is the most meaningful thing. And I'm, I'm, in some level I could be ashamed. I'm sad that maybe something, maybe that I I liked it more than long days journey into night, you know, O'Neill's quite good, but Springsteen, Slightly, maybe because well, O'Neill maybe, never did Rosalina. Because never. he's a writer. He's a writer. That's what made that evening. And that's what maybe, you know, you can add to greatest performer of all time. Who has the writing chops that factor into the 
song that he's singing and therefore the performance that he's given. The writing has weight to it, which makes the performance better. Name another person who has that bench of songs and then can draw from the past and do that fantastically well. Right. Yeah. I can't even think of another artist who could do I, I nothing. No one comes to me who could do something like that. The Broadway show, you know, I was always that, hoping that Southside Johnny would do an off Broadway show. <laughs> as a New Jersey oh, there boy. Is. <laughs> no, John Cafferty and Beaver right, Brown do a community theater thing. Well, but Holly is right. You can't think of another person that you would sit there for for two hours. They're not dancing. They're hardly an up tempo in the in the yeah. group of songs. And it is one thousand percent riveting and beautiful. Do you know? Do you know why that show came about? Yes, he did it for the Obamas at the at the White House. Exactly, right? and, Obama and Barack Obama was like, "Yeah, like that's that's a great what you did should be shared with the world." By the oh, way, the Obamas Hamilton start that way. Exactly right. I was going to say the Obamas might be the the greatest producers who ever lived. Right. <laughs> <laughs> that's high praise. Yeah, yeah. I mean that that's right. Uh, they invited Lin-Manuel to do a song at this gala, and he came in with this new thing he was working on and sang the first song from Hamilton, and that was it. <laughs> yeah, he's like, good luck with this Hamilton thing. People want to hear about this People, guy? The, the moment you hear the song, you're in. So we need to send send Obama out into the universe to discover more, uh, you know. Yeah. <laughs> Just wasting away. What's he doing with his life? I tell you. But that's the other thing, David, about your feeling about the Broadway show is that Springsteen evolves and changes and adapts, whereas some people hang on to the past and try to imitate what they used to do. But he is just as great standing in front of you with an acoustic guitar and singing as he was 45 years ago with the band. And what you were saying about, uh, David, what you were saying about, you know, he might not be the originator of it. I, I can't think in other, you know, in other genres, but I don't think the originators are necessarily the best. We recognize them as the originators, but, you know, just because Springsteen took from other, you know, from other artists. Oh, yeah. In fact, it's interesting you say that because I did for something I was working on recently. I watched half hell rock and roll for the first time in oh, many years. Chuck and, Berry, Chuck Berry, oh, right? And I yeah, and I worked with Taylor Hackford on a bunch of projects. We did a Ray Charles tri- TV tribute. We wrote Ahmed Erdogan's funeral together. I love Taylor, but in that movie, <laughs> if you look at it, uh, I write a lot of funerals. I'm available for any of yours. Um, excited for the opportunity. Uh, but oh, in that movie, there's a moment where you see Chuck. I guess he's sitting around with Johnny Johnson, who was this great keyboard player who he screwed over and took credit for everything he did. You know. But in it, they do. He does this like bluesy thing, very elegant, jazzy, bluesy version of "Cottage for Sale," and it's the greatest thing you've ever heard because it's a mature. It's like, what if Chuck Berry had not just kept playing every gig that paid him, you know, in cash with every pickup band, but it actually worked with good musicians who he, you know, regularly and like tried to grow up. The thing is, Chuck Berry never really did do that. Bruce, like what Phil said earlier was so interesting to me about his purple patch or golden era, whatever you called it, that, you know, to the 85. The truth is, you know, and this is an 80s podcast. I was thinking about uh, Bruce in the 80s. And is that not fair to say it's sort of 80s themed a little bit? Oh, it's very fair. Go ahead. Yeah. 
Uh, but for the podcast, like I was thinking my favorite Bruce like starts around Tunnel of Love, which is, I guess, 89 and like his yes. end of the 80s. And yes. and some of my favorite stuff, like right now, I can honestly say I'm really most into his last record, which yes. I'm sure Bruce right. would appreciate. But like, yes. and I think I liked Western Hero much more than Phil, yes. even though I think there is an element of bullshit to it where like we, we both, I think, know somebody who's close to the Bruce in the Bruce world who said like, Listen, I know him. He ain't a fucking cowboy, you know. Like you know, there's there's certain truth in that. But <laughs> but, saying. That, but that album, my wife and sons can tell you, I played that record for a year and a half. Beautiful record. It just destroys me because that's my first memories of music are like my mom was having troubles. It was a, my parents are going through a terrible divorce. My mom was having manic depressive and misdiagnosed, and it was a rough time in my like. So this is like in the seventies. We had a maid who helped us out who came from Jamaica. And so I was raised with this maid playing her old, her records, a black woman from Jamaica who loved Glenn Campbell and Tom Jones on eight track tape. So my first memories are like listening to Glenn Campbell do Wichita lineman and sitting like in the living room, hiding out from all the domestic issues in my household. And I love Glenn Campbell as a result. Like that's my that's, grandmother used to say, why don't you do your hair like Glenn Campbell? He has such <laughs> nice hair. <laughs> we are talking, talking, talking Bruce. We are talking Bruce. It's Bruce talk. All Bruce all the time on the a very special episode of What Difference Does It Make? But with all special episodes, sometimes we have to take a special break. Let's do that right now. Hello, Pantheon Podcast listeners. Christian Swain here to tell you more about my experience with Raycon earbuds. Our family now has three pairs of Raycon earbuds around the house. And my wife just grabbed a pair of the headphone pros to replace some headphones from a company that was double the price. And yes, she loves them. Now, if you haven't pulled the trigger on a pair of Raycons, or even if you have, but you're in the market for another pair because they're just that good, well, now is the time to check them out because they just launched their upgraded model of the best-selling everyday earbuds. With Raycon's upgraded everyday earbuds, now you also get active noise cancellation, ergonomic design, and multi-point connectivity that lets you pair with two devices at once. New quick charge function, three customizable sound styles plus awareness mode, available in a variety of vibrant new colors to complement any and all skin tones. I even have a pair of earbuds in a cool green color. I have tried just about every earbud known to humankind and these Raycons are fantastic. Seriously, if you've been wanting to check out Raycons, there truly is no better time. You're going to ask yourself why you didn't check them out sooner. And Raycon offers a 30-day happiness guarantee. So what are you waiting for? Go to buyraycon.com slash pantheon today to get 20% off your Raycon order plus free shipping. That's right. You'll get 20% off and free shipping at buyraycon.com slash pantheon. Buyraycon.com slash pantheon. And we're back on the What Difference Does It Make podcast with our guests, Phil Rosenthal and David Wild. 
Springsteen has the ability to be there for you at every age. That's true. When I say the the you know the peak is seventy five to eighty five, I'm only talking about his energy on stage. His energy, like if you got to see him during that time, you saw this human lightning bolt on stage. No one else. I mean, there are people who who have the ability to stand in front of you with an acoustic guitar and sing. I don't know if they could put together as beautiful a Broadway evening as, as Springsteen, but there are people who certainly have that energy that he has now, but no one had that energy <laughs> ever in their lives well, the- that he did four or five hour shows every friggin' night. Well, that's what's so crazy about this no nukes thing is because he, yeah. he had, he was record the river wasn't going to come out for another year. He was in right. the studio. He came out yep. with this and they said, you have an hour and a half to do a four hour show. And yep. he, and he, and he does it. He Cramp does it. He cra- I mean, the set, remember I don't know. The, uh, I don't want to do any spoilers. The, uh, uh, <laughs> remember the, the, the halftime show? Yeah. Where oh, yeah. tried to cram everything into 12 <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Crashing into the camera, sliding in there. It was great. <laughs> It is. It's it's great. And, and I have to give it to Prince. Oh, the best. Yeah, the best. Yeah, the best. But, but Prince I mean, had the rain. The pouring rain, singing <laughs> Purple Rain. You don't get a more iconic moment. Yeah, his quote was, because it was raining, he's like, can, any problems, Prince? He's like, yeah, can you make it rain more? I need it harder. You know what's funny, though? It's interesting. Like, Phil, in my opinion, the greatest of the TV writers of all time. No. So we can, in that category. But the greatest performers, the greatest on-stage musical performers I ever saw, Prince, Bruce, the, no doubt. But in each case, I got to work with them and see an example of why they are, which is at the, when they did London Calling, that's like the, the on the Grammys, when it was, when, you know, the right. tri- tribute to Joe Strummer, that was the first Grammy performance I ever got to really brainstorm and contribute to. And it was my high school wet dream come true. The Clash, Bruce Springsteen, it was Dave Grohl when he was just, you know, before he was on absolutely everything on earth. Elvis, right? Costello? Elvis Costello, all my heroes. But I got to watch in rehearsal where Elvis just dominated. And I watched Bruce sit back. And it was like, and I, I said to Ken Ehrlich, who was, you know, executive producer, I said, I can't believe it. It's amazing. Bruce is like letting Elvis own this moment. It's like he's so gracious because Bruce was already on the show doing The Rising, that same show. This is like his second performance. I'm like, oh, he's just giving this to Elvis. And that was rehearsal. And then when the show was on, it was like I watched him like he was it was like a motorcycle and he started revving and he just took it. Bruce just stole the fucking performance. (laughs) Can't help it. I'm also reminded of uh, the Prince guitar solo at the the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Where, Genius. Where he was during dress rehearsal, like at half speed, just not doing yeah. anything, like underplaying yeah. everything. And then yeah. you know, once it once it's showtime, he you yeah. know he just revs it up, and then you could just you could see the joy. Everyone just stands magical, back. The yeah. magical toss in the air. Yeah, still up in the air. That guitar. Well, did you guys see that last year or earlier this year, maybe it was, there was a new Joel Gallon, who Phil and I sort of came together doing all the tribute to heroes and all these telethons, starting out with Joel years ago. We, we were known as the tragedians working together <laughs> on the show. Like this year, uh, Joel did a new edit of the Prince Rock and Roll Hall of Fame performance that came out. If you go online and find yes. it, he did. And it's like, it was even more amazing. It's even more yeah. impossible. Yeah. When more he shots doing. of print. Right. But yeah. the funniest thing is in the new shots, 
there's a guy on the side of the stage who I, for one day, the whole internet was like, that's you, David Wilde. And it like, and I, I had to go, I would know if I was standing on the side of the stage because my mouth would have been wide. And it, it was just a guy. But sometimes you're at events, David, and you miss the thing. Like you invited me to all the music cares stuff, which is just mm. great. If you guys ever get a chance to go to any of these, they're the best tribute shows. Yeah. David puts them on the Dylan one. Oh, Dylan yeah. came out. Dylan came out at the end. He didn't sing, but he made a speech and he talked. And it was like the first time anyone had ever heard him be, first of all, really articulate. And number two, say something with heart and emotion about his feelings, about his career. And we were blown away. We were like, I can't believe I'm here for this. Yeah. Right. It's like Bob Dylan sharing his feelings with us. <laughs> I, I and heard- I said to David after the show, it's like, wasn't that amazing? He was, I was backstage. I missed it. Oh. <laughs> wow. Yeah, that's right. I was, when I heard about that, I was like, he's giving a eulogy to himself. Listen to this. It was this- absolutely amazing. You've heard it since, right, David? I have. You know, what's interesting is when you say eulogy, Dave, uh, I, it made me think that during the pandemic, the most emotional moment for me, I'm sad to say it wasn't, and I lost friends, so this is horrible, but <laughs> I think maybe my most emotional memory was literally when when Dylan came out with that new 14-minute, 18-minute yeah. song during the pandemic, because when I heard the song, I said, oh, no, Dylan's dying, and he's putting this out, like, as his last state, like a will and testament. Yes. <laughs> and the funny thing is, like, but these guys who have it in them to perform, it's amazing to me because like, and someone very close to Dylan told me, this is like before the pandemic, he's done with the road, he's done with the road. Right now, he's out there having put out a great new album and he's playing new shows where he's playing like most of the new album, which is something he's never done. Uh, And it's like the fact that we, how lucky are we to have artists like Dylan, like Bruce, uh, we don't have Prince anymore, but like artists the who stones. stay, yes, the stones, <laughs> it's like that they stay, they have the, they keep this edge or hunger their whole way. And in a lot, of, a lot of bands are out because they don't have money. Like it cannot be that with Bruce or Bob. No. Dylan. No. It can't be that. I heard Bruce is actually planning a, a oh, yeah. tour with the band. The thing is, these are, this is the soundtrack of our lives. And for me, the most powerful moment of the Broadway show is at the end when he says, I could cry thinking about it because it's so beautiful to me. He goes, I hope I've been a good traveling companion. <laughs> that's really what he's been. That's what he wanted to be. And that's what he did so beautifully and has done and is still doing it. These are our traveling companions. Literally, yeah. you go in the car, you put them on. Yeah. Right. You take a walk, you put them on in your earphones. You know, these are they've gotten us through life. Their power and their importance cannot be underestimated. Do your, do your kids feel yeah. love, Bruce, or no? I don't know. I don't think they did because I loved them so much. So right. it, it made them cool. Like I'm showing this thing tonight. I can't get them to sit and watch it. I'm like, this is, I'm telling you, this is the greatest thing you will ever see. This, I'm telling you, you will understand now, if you watch this, why I'm so crazy. You will understand your father if you watch it. Not, not interested. Not interested. Uh, Dave and I have this conversation oh, regularly. Yeah. Well, it's funny. I took my son 
my younger hipster son, who is a DJ in college still, uh, I took him to Phil's to watch the Hyde Park. And it was, it was, he was, this is when he was still in high school. And it was just in time to get him to do something like that. Like now he would never do that. And he like it. He said it was amazing. But but I don't think, I think that's the last time he said anything about, (laughs) about Bruce. Uh, So I think it's like, it's just funny. Like we love him too much for them to. Yeah. I mean, I took them as soon as they were like old enough, I took them to see him, but he was already doing the uh, Seeger sessions. Oh, right. Yeah. I I loved it. No, I loved it. I couldn't love it more because I love, I grew up in a house with the weavers. Right. So I love this music. I love the communist. You, you it's it's a Jamaican, a Jamaican Queens thing. I think I spent an afternoon with Pete Seeger. Did I ever tell you that? Yeah. You've never told. I've, I've yeah. interviewed him. I never met him in person. What was he like? Yeah, yeah. He was a hard ass. He was not like a warm, fuzzy guy. He was like, if if somebody said, you know, he's a communist, I would say, I see it. <laughs> <laughs> he all the fun of a communist, but but uh, <laughs> I couldn't love him more. Gorgeous, you know. He pulled out his banjo and started playing. I mean, it's like crazy. So I love that music and the music very high spirited. And Springsteen was doing great shows with that band. And the kids, you know, for the up tempos, they they kind of got it, but that doesn't stay with them. They don't care. It's funny about the the Seeker sessions. So my my parents had a love of Springsteen before before me. They were really when you talk about being on the road. I remember all our road trips were Springsteen. So there was that. I ended, we ended up taking my husband. And I took them to the Seeker session at the Greek Theater. We took yes. them to see the Seeker sessions. Yes, I was there. So we yeah, that it's a fun show. I mean, I thought that was that was really, really great. Fun. But my kids, who are not Springsteen, they're young adults now, not Springsteen fans, and nobody's ever really turned them on to him. However, when they would go in the car with my parents, my parents would play the Seeker session, so they know all of those songs. That's great. Yeah. I, I just think, uh, for when I meet people who say they weren't into Springsteen or not into Springsteen, I'm like, you never saw him, right? Yeah. Nope. Yeah. 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 If you saw him, you got him. One of the funniest afternoons of my life was there was an afternoon where Dylan and Springsteen both came in for rehearsal. They were both on the same Grammy show. And the funny thing is that so Bruce comes in and Tom Hanks had come in right before him to read the intro for what I had written for him to say before Bruce. And it was the Seeger Sessions. He was debuting the Seeger Sessions on the Grammys. Because it was about Pete Seeger, too, I wrote like two paragraphs of just my love of Bruce, like the way we're talking now. And Bruce came in and, and Tom came in and read it and sounded great like it would with Tom Hanks. And then Bruce came in and he goes, I want to see the intro. And I showed him the intro. He goes, two paragraphs. I can't live up to it. Pick one. And literally I had to go and like cut it in half because he goes, I can't live up to two paragraphs. So then Bob Dylan comes in. And in that case, I was going the other way because John Mayer was going to introduce him. And I just had him go, ladies and gentlemen, the originator, Bob Dylan, just like minimalist kind of thing. And Bob Dylan looks at it and he goes, Give me a little more. <laughs> Can you take some of Springsteen? Yeah. Exactly. Well, you sort of could. Cut paste. Right. Yeah. Exactly. I thought this was a joke. Springsteen, Dylan and Springsteen walk into a bar. Yeah. Yes, yeah, exactly. <laughs> great. Pretty yeah. great. I heard that during the uh, We Are the World recording that everyone was doing their part and Dylan came in. And he didn't really know how to sing the phrase. So people were imitating Dylan to Dylan. 
Oh, Stevie Wonder, I think, is the one who did it. I don't know how to do it like it's uh, yes. Do it like this. Phil, do you know that when I had a brainstorming, uh, he wanted me to write a treatment for an idea he had, which was a fake history of an album, sort of like the stuff he ended up doing with Scorsese yeah. in, in The Last Doc. But this was like 2001. Yeah, I didn't, I didn't like that. I don't like uh, that. Well, he wanted to do that. <laughs> that's, uh, that's Dylan's like sense of humor. On, I don't like when the joke's on me. I want to yeah. be in on the joke with you. <laughs> but that was the time I did Dylan for Dylan by accident. I, you did? I did? Yeah, I said, he goes, I said, well, we don't want it to be like that fight scene in Hard to Hold, which is a terrible movie he was in <laughs> with Rupert Everett and Fiona, the pop star. And he goes, what fight scene? And I went, you know, the one where you go, <laughs> and, it was a punch. and I realized, holy shit, I just did my stupid fucking <laughs> Did Dylan. he notice? Oh, yeah, he laughed. He was, <laughs> he was so, it's always that, like, don't mean, like, Phil, your experiences with Bruce, maybe you should discuss, but like these people say, don't meet your heroes. Like Dylan was the opposite. He was so cool. He was so funny. Right. He, he wrapped cookies for my kids. He couldn't have been more perfect. Okay. So, so yeah. So this is my wallet. I just got a <laughs> okay. photo from my wallet. This is from the year 2000, I want to say. No picture of his wife in his wallet. Oh, Who's that kid? I know. My Look. wife said That's that. very important. He said, you're smiling more in this photo than our wedding picture. <laughs> and I said, yeah, but I married you. Yeah. Yeah. Only because oh. he you. didn't ask me. Yeah. <laughs> That'll make it onto our YouTube. Uh, that yeah. <laughs> I know. In the Except wallet. I'll Photoshop myself. Literally in the wallet. And you didn't have to wait two hours. Or actually, it was more... I met Bruce on Rosh Hashanah for a book signing. <laughs> it was it happened oh, to be at the, at the Grove. Yeah, yeah, it happened to be that day. Like, all yeah. right, it's Rosh Hashanah. This is this is my this is this my is temple. My this is it. I, I it was meant to be. So I was like, I'm getting in line, and I waited, and you know, same thing. Like, just the biggest grin on my face. Like, it, all it took was like. Uh, you know, like three seconds with him, but you know, I was like, I got to touch his, his leather jacket. Like, oh my god, this is so soft. This is really nice. <laughs> like, this is wonderful. I and I, you know, I asked him, would you do? Would you have done this for Elvis? He's like, yeah, I would have. <laughs> uh, I've, I've, I've gotten to meet him several times now. He's <laughs> always nice. I seems to almost recognize me at this point. <laughs> He gives the, hey, you, good I, to see I, you. I, I'm totally tongue-tied and flustered every time. I really, you know, your dream is that he'll be your friend. Right. He, has, he has a lot of friends. He doesn't need <laughs> Phil as his friend. And and it's never going to be. So I'm fine just him being Bruce and me being over here. As he's out there, you know, on the talk shows promoting, I saw him on Colbert during the show when they showed the clip from No Nukes from the concert. And he was, you know, picture and, you know, they had him a close up of yes. Bruce on screen. And he was, you know, it was a part of the show where he was like, like, it looked like he was asking for the adulation, you know, yes. and he looked he was watching, watching. And then he looked a little pained. Yes. Did you get that, or was I misinterpreting well, that? He's embarrassed by the his younger self, as every, everyone yeah. is. I think he so enjoyed, and he admits that he was wrong in not documenting more of these shows. He has said that he didn't want to film at the time because he thought it would be as if the magician was showing how he do the trick. Yeah, and he wanted he wanted you to come out and see the show. He didn't want film. Here's the funny thing about this was filmed on his 30th birthday. 
That's right. He was lit. So I, there was a little of like, you know, he was making jokes about he's all he's over the hill. His heart can't take it anymore. Someone gives him a birthday cake and he he takes it and then just throws it back in the audience. I don't want to be yeah. reminded of this. Yeah. I'm old now. I'm in my thirties. Life is over. Yeah. I'm on the downhill exactly. slope. It's yeah. done. That's part of the joy of this is like, you, you know, you see where it, where it's going, of but course. you know, exactly. But in that moment, it's like, I, nope. Nope, I don't want to be reminded of this. Let's and just everyone watching is like, oh, to be thirty again, right? And look, and look at the energy that thirty-year-old has. I just remembered it. No nukes was where he had one of his unfortunate incidents. Like Bruce hasn't had that much embarrassing stuff, but there was the famous thing where Lynn Goldsmith, the photographer, was his girlfriend, and I think they had just broken up. There was a bit of scandal because he pulled her out of the crowd and said some negative, like not nice stuff about her oh, that, at the new nuke show. That's not no kidding. There. That's not, I'll in bet there. that's not in this. No, that is not in there. You know, no, what, am I, I am right about this. This is the story is that let's not forget about Bruce's well-documented public humiliation of ex-girlfriend and celeb photographer, Lynn Goldsmith. He literally said something like he was unhappy that she was in the pit taking photos. Oh, wow. I think he had said, don't, this is just what I remember. And yeah. he said something like, this is Mike's fucking girlfriend. She shouldn't fucking be here. Like, and sort of like, like, I don't know. It, it, it's, it's an incident that, you know, Bruce has done very little wrong, but that was one. This where, is the first time I've ever heard any kind of like meanness yeah. or, or even, even if it was justified, all you hear. And I don't know if you remember this, Dave, but in Rolling Stone magazine around this time were these legends of Springsteen on the road. I meet a kid. He says, you want to come to my house for dinner? And I go for dinner. And it's great because yeah. you get the sister and you get the mom and you get the dad and you get the whole life. And the, and you're like, and then there was a kid in the hospital. I went, it's like Babe Ruth going to visit right. a kid in the hospital. Right. You know, kid. It was, that was like the legendary stories of this God. You showed that movie. There was some documentary like that. Springsteen of- and me. Yeah, which had all those stories. It was great. Yeah. Just yeah, great. That's a great documentary. And it ends, you know how they ended that doc oh. with a three song set of him and Paul McCartney. It's interesting. The no nukes. Uh, the other thing about no nukes that just came to mind was Tom Petty was on the show. And I remember Tom when this is like 91 or two, I asked him about it. He goes, oh, man, that's enemy territory. He goes like, because those are the two to me. I, I, I actually put Bruce a little higher because I'm from New Jersey, but I also love Tom Petty. And they're the two guys that had consistently great bands, did so much great work and kept going for a long, long time. But Tom said, man, we were going into enemy territory, like Madison Square Garden, like trying to compete with Bruce and his band there. Like they were friends, but they were rivals. That was like a, that was an East Coast, West Coast. There was, yeah. They were competitive, and well, and in the Tom, full in the in the whole No Nukes movie, you see other artists there in the bowels of the of the garden, and you hear from above, Bruce, 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 Bruce. Yeah. All other people are performing, and I think it was Jackson Brown. Who's this Bruce? <laughs> <laughs> there, there is another weird moment. Like it's it's a Bruce thing shtick that he that he always does where he's like all right i just want to i want to warn everybody but in the moment it's just kind of bizarre because he he goes back he goes and talks to someone and then he comes to the front and says all right i need to stop the show for a second and now in this day in this day and age you're like oh my god something bad what's you know why is this but of course it's a 
a broomstick. And of course, you know, like, okay, everything's good. He's going to be doing this crazy dance. And I don't think anybody can survive doing this, you know, yes. trying to, you know, replicate yes. what we're trying to do here. But when he stops the show, you're like, you, you stop for a second. Like, Oh my God, what's, what's happening. And then like, Oh, <laughs> well, here's, here's, Oh, what, here's what why. an innocent time. I wish that was, a, that was back. But here's, here's the thing. This is why he might be the greatest performer of all time, because no one has ever understood theater like him. He gets it. He understands the theatrical gesture, the theatrical dance, yeah. the theatrical projection, the theatrical stage presence. That's theater. I studied theater. Nobody has this in rock and roll. And that includes the connection with the audience, the talking to the audience. Even Prince does not talk to you and connect with you as a person the way Springsteen is almost a religious leader, you know, and almost, engages. Almost. <laughs> well, for years, he would do the whole preacher bit, right? Yeah. All I like know is we church. go to the same, Phil and I go to the same temple, and I've seen Phil at Springsteen shows much more than a temple. <laughs> uh, yes. If the cantor could sing like that, I'd be there. <laughs> do you have a favorite Springsteen song in general? Yeah. I think I have one. I think you I think have one at the ready. What I is do. it? Okay. I think it's I think it's Tenth Avenue Freeze because because it it has everything that I love about Springsteen. It tells his story. The, the it's, joy, it's the joy, the majesty. You know that that opening is like a, the King is coming. It's like a fanfare, <laughs> and then the drum roll, and then you're in this great joyous swinging rock and roll that has ties to the swing era of jazz and it's just a big fun song it's all about bat scooter whose initials are bs yes you guys must be writers with your descriptions (laughs) of the (laughs) you give great descriptions for this podcast i think the thing that one thing that interests (laughs) me is that bruce in the 80s my least favorite (laughs) bruce record just about is born in the usa and I love certain songs on it so much. Yes. Uh, Downbound Drain, which is the least, the only non-hit <laughs> on the album, is one of my favorites. But I don't love the album. There's something about that moment, maybe the overexposure, the, you know. Maybe the muscles. The muscles. <laughs> this became less of a hippie freak, Jersey oddball. Well, and, that's, I mean, it, it was a, a really a swing at commercialism, wasn't it? Yes. Yeah. I mean, and it worked. A big swing. That, yes, that hit. Okay, <laughs> and, it, David, what's yours? What's your favorite? Can you, can you pick a favorite right now? Because I agree with you, Phil, and that it evolves. Like, it evolves. Yes. And, you know, ask me tomorrow yeah. and I might feel differently. But what's your favorite song? Tunnel of Love. I, oh, I, that's I, a great song. I, I love when Bruce's idealism gave way to some reality. That's why I love the show. It's like you really see that his aspirational romantic dream of what life and rock and roll could be when it hit a wall around then, that's when he's most interesting to me. It's kind of like with Sinatra who, you know, he, Bruce said, that's his favorite. I'm a big Sinatra fan. I wrote liner notes for duets. I, I'm a big Sinatra fan, but the truth is I don't like young Sinatra. I don't like big band Sinatra. I don't even love the capital as much as I like the old Frank uh, yesterday. Really? Before you were listening to this. I like when they can't sing anymore. <laughs> 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 That's why I love Dylan so much. Yesterday, from when we were recording this, was the 40th anniversary of the last great 
Frank Sinatra's studio record. And it's called uh, She Shot Me Down. And it's like his last attempt to really do a new album of new songs and that he hadn't done for the most part. And he does a song, a Sondheim song called Go- Good Thing Going, Going Gone. It's like about, it's just this old man, you know, talking about love and, you know, where things went wrong. I, that's my dream is I just love, that's why I think I really only listen to Bruce's recent albums now. I very rarely, Darkness, for some reason, Darkness is the one I go back to of the classic great era. Like that's my favorite for some reason. It's also the first one I remember like buying with my own money. But for whatever reason, I like when artists get old and have to get all get through on just pure like very convenient david yeah very convenient yeah exactly <laughs> very on brand for me exactly <laughs> i don't think i would call necessarily tunnel uh tunnel of love i mean it's it's more recent but it's not that recent no 88 yeah yeah oh. it, it followed his uh marriage break yeah it makes sense yeah. yeah he met julianne on the 84 tour in, at the sports arena. And then four years later, even though he dedicated the album to her, it's about their their breakup, which I always felt was really odd. Like this is, yeah. our, our marriage is deteriorating. Here's to my lovely wife, Julianne. I have this memory uh, of, I think I went with the writer from Rolling Stone. We covered the opening of the Tunnel of Love tour at Worcester, Mass. Bruce used to open, a lot of artists used to open their tours in Worcester, Massachusetts, because it was the cheapest place, I think, to do rehearsals and things. It was like, they gave, a, <laughs> like the unions, whatever, because like doing shit at Madison Square Garden it was much more expensive. So a lot of things, Bruce, I think, often started in Worcester. So we were at the Worcester Centrum, and my very, my strong memory is I got, I had a backstage access, and I was standing there with Rob Lowe, and Rob Lowe was saying, talking about patty like oh man i like to hit that or some version of sort of like and then probably did and yeah well i do but i remember then i think bruce came up and like hugged patty and it was like huh (laughs) it was like it was like you know it was like something was going you know you we realized okay things have changed yeah instead of patty in the back she was she was four in the front of the stage now and kind of a yes. bigger part of the show. An interesting time. When was the last time you actually played a, a Springsteen album? You know, there's this, Apple said they, they have high-res lossless now. If you have wired headphones and a digital to analog converter, and I got, I actually got a little one that plugs into the bottom of the phone. I download the stuff in high-res or stream it in high-res, and I have these beautiful earphones and there's not a day that goes by that I'm not listening to something from Spring, mm-hmm. Springsteen just going through my thousands and thousands <laughs> of songs. He's half of it. Yeah. So he's always coming up. You know, the, the last album he's facing for the first time, I think, correct me if I'm wrong, David, songs about death and losing people, right? Yeah, it's really the most. And there's a, song, there's a song called I'll See You in My Dreams. Yeah. It came out when I lost a friend, a very old friend, Jeremy Stevens, came out that week. And I remember taking Jeremy to his first Springsteen concert and he became a, a fan. And that song just, it's so typified how you feel about losing a buddy, you know, not a parent, not a child, God forbid, but, you know, a friend, a lifelong friend. And the writing of it is so great. The performance is so great. He ended up doing it on the 9-11 memorial and it was so powerful 
we had talked to him yeah. about doing it at the Grammys as our part yeah, of our in memoriam. Right. It didn't yeah. work out. And then he did it at the 9-11 thing. And I thought it was so powerful. It is powerful. I read the lyrics at Jeremy's memorial. Oh, wow. Uh, so it, you know, there he is, that traveling companion again. Right? Jeremy was one of the Raymond writers, and but he was also like a little older. He had co-created the electric company with Morgan oh. and Morgan Freeman. <laughs> and, he, and Phil fought to keep him a vital TV writer. He was a great guy. Oh, nice. Uh, but yeah, that I, I, I didn't know you did that at the memorial. Oh, that's really sweet. But that it just shows you how relevant at the different times in your life that the, the guy's there for you. Yeah. Right. When you want to dance around like an idiot, there's that song, right? Mm -hmm. When you need a memorial, something to say at the memorial, there's that song. Who has that range? We are both such Springsteen fans that, like, there was one time, Phil, do you remember when I was working with Jimmy Iovine on his speech, when he gave the commencement speech at USC, when he opened up with Dr. Dre, his whole school there and all that, and it was one of these things where I was in CB- New York doing a big event for CBS and Jimmy goes, I need you. I'm going to fly you back tomorrow. I could not leave New York because of what I was doing work wise. And he goes, I need you to fly back. And I thought, what the hell am I going to do? You, Cause billionaires don't like when you say no. <laughs> and so I said, Jimmy, I got someone better than me. And I called Phil and I said, Phil, <laughs> will you go help for a, a couple of days, help Jimmy Iovine with this while I'm gone. And he goes, Phil Rosenthal, that's that's an upgrade. I'll take him, yes. And, and Phil, I said, Phil, you can ask him about anything about Bruce you want. <laughs> and that's what you did. And he was so happy to have you uh, directing him for a couple of days. He was quite, uh, quite entertaining. Yes, very. Did you get anything from him that you didn't know? Anything Springsteen related? You know, you know, there was something that I learned later that I certainly would ask him about. Because where I grew up in New City, New York, in Rockland County, I didn't realize it, but the recording studio where Springsteen recorded Greetings from Asbury Park, East Street Shuffle, and Born to Run was three minutes from my house. <laughs> and I didn't learn that until a couple of years ago. It, it, was in, it was in his, uh, in his autobiography on Route 304, right oh. there in Blauvelt, which is the next town over. Oh, yeah, I knew Blauvelt. Literally a three-minute drive from my house. Had I known, <laughs> you could have been there. <laughs> Stalker. Still would have, yeah. Jimmy <laughs> told me a story oh, that is one of my favorite stories, which is Jimmy Iovine is like, you know, engineer who becomes like Bruce's like main guy. And they, after Born to Run, Bruce is now the biggest deal in the world all of a sudden. And the world can't wait for another album, right? And so Jimmy is still living with his parents. And his dad is a uh, works the docks in Brooklyn, right? And so the day they finally finish, I guess what's darkness, Jimmy's the only one with like a, a copy of it, like a cassette of the album as finished. And he leaves it. He gets back in the like four in the morning and leaves it on the kitchen counter. And Jimmy says that his father took it, went to work and goes, I'm playing it on the docks for the guys and everybody loves it. <laughs> and Jimmy goes, knowing how Bruce didn't want anyone to hear anything, it was like, get the fuck, turn it off. <laughs> it's doing really, really well. It's the docks. It's testing really was well it, on the docks. Yeah. Was it the Born to Run album that Springsteen, he heard the, the cut and he, he heard the, the cut of the album and, and he went out to the swimming pool and threw the tape in? Yes, yeah. I think that's true. Yes. Yeah. Have you have either one of you read the Stephen Van Zandt book yet? Is I have. It's and, great. Is it? Yeah. 
It's great. And the thing that shocked me was how he obviously that relationship's super close, but he is very open about what went wrong and why he left. And he says it was a huge mistake, but he also says like the complexities of his relationship with Landau and how much credit he was getting and how much money he was getting. It's very revealing. It's stuff I did never heard, never knew. Yeah. I, I did not like the Bruce band when I saw that live like when him without the Street band, it felt really weird to me, Yeah. but I was at the unplugged, but became plugged taping oh, yep. of, with yep. Bruce. That's and great. This is the, the, this is my most zealot like moment in a very zealot like <laughs> life. When he did the, one of the songs I don't like that Phil apparently likes more roll of the dice. Like there's a couple songs on human touch mm-hmm. that seem like they could be Eddie money songs. Like <laughs> the, the lyrics, there's not subtle metaphors like roll the dice, right. but I do yeah. like roll the dice because when he's I like the, the energy of it. Yes. But he threw pink dice into the little and it was by the way, I remember vividly I was standing near REM, who were walking around together. Like that's a band that liked him. This is a very eighties memory. But he threw the dice. I caught the dice. Oh that. that means you're getting and, married. Yeah. <laughs> I have them somewhere. I still have them somewhere. Yes. Max is still he's still holding up. I don't, I don't know, know how, how he, he does, does it. it. Yeah, I know it's crazy. I really to play drums that hard. Yeah, he. And well, I think that about any drummer. Backstage, his his arms were in ice like baseball players. I'm, and you're watching no nukes, and you see, you know, they're behind the the drum right, yeah. and there's Max looking behind, just you know, making sure yeah. that he's he's doing exactly what Bruce is, you know, matching his moves. It's a work of art from Max Weinberg in this this uh, new nukes Great. performance. By the way, I think Phil, your dad and Max Weinberg made the name Max so much cooler. <laughs> they're the coolest Maxes. I know, Dave, you always make fun of me because I like to know the, the personal, the, the family stuff. I love seeing your parents in your show. I think it's the sweetest, the sweetest thing. But I swear to you, when I knew, when I found out you were from Queens and they, you know, lived in Queens. Yeah. I swear they must be from the same town as my family. We lived in uh, Kew Gardens, I think. Kew yeah. Gardens. Okay. Yeah. And then we, they, on, uh, only until I was two. And then we moved to Riverdale in the Bronx. It was quite the upgrade. And from there, when I was nine, we moved to New City, okay. in Rockland County. Rockland County, the poor man's Westchester. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> no, I, when I saw them and I and I listened to them, I think uh, yeah. they had to be friends with my, you know, friends with family. They probably family. would have been. They were, yeah. I, I was privileged to know, you know, deal with them and get to know them a little bit over the years. But I will say what's really amazing about Phil's show, I have never seen a show that reaches a broader demographic <laughs> and like and like everybody loves raymond where the parents became this like tv icons and made jewish and italian parents you realize are all the same but your actual parents like there's things like i introduced phil to brad paisley who's and his wife kim they're the biggest fans of somebody feed phil is like their favorite show in history and it's amazing internationally right in your travels phil like your parents connected around the world it's it's absolutely insane because they didn't leave the kitchen <laughs> but that, how did that come to be by the way like i need to i finished up an episode i need let's was that initially uh, the plan to, to talk to the parents about your your travels my parents have always been a great source of material and, and the raymond show shows that a bit and and then i did a movie a documentary about uh, going to russia the russians asked me to come over there and help them turn my sitcom into everybody loves Kostya. <laughs> and I said, I would do it if they let me document it. 
So I brought a camera crew and we documented the whole process. And during that exporting process- Exporting Raymond, and if you haven't seen it, is Phil, is it available for people to watch? It is, you can, you can get it on iTunes and Apple and oh. it's a truly funny, true story because of how much I suffered. <laughs> there was one scene I had been trying to get in to a Russian family's house to see how they live. And I got in and we filmed the dinner there and I was talking to the grandparents and they told me how much they use the computer and they love the computer. I'm like, my parents, I, I wish that they could, see. In, in fact, you know how to, you know how to, yeah, we do the, you, we do Skype and everything. let's call my parents just like that. I just off the top of my head, I said, let's call my parents. And they just happened to be up and we Skyped with my parents from Russia. And it's the single best thing in the movie because my mother is like talking like this to the people. <laughs> and I said, ma, you don't have to be so close, ma. <laughs> like this, thinking that the microphone is in the camera. <laughs> so she's talking like, anyway, I never forgot that. So when I got the food and travel show, number one, I wanted a surefire funny thing in every episode. And number two, the Skype home or the Zoom home is the modern day equivalent of the postcard, yeah. right? Yeah. Hey, look where sure. I am. Uh, hey, sure. look, wish you were here. How's it going? And that's it. So it's very, I think, relatable because yeah. we all call home or Skype home from wherever we are. And I know that they're comic geniuses. <laughs> yeah. I mean, every I episode looked like the genuine, genuine love and surprise by how quick and funny your parents are like oh of course they, they come up with this amazing moment and yeah i, I love them so much and that i mean that's, i owe them i owe them only uh everything phil how many you have tons of emmys he's winning an emmy oh, oh, what, yeah. oh what did you win this year for your for somebody to feed phil he won some critics choice like you were the big, you, you were reality star male male star of the year that's better than sexiest man of the year, I think. You know, it's better than sexiest. Yeah, for sure. Male, all around male. Right. And, and I told my wife and she said, male? <laughs> <laughs> Not to overly impress you, but do you know who female star of the year was? was Dr. Pimple Popper. <laughs> Not kidding. But you beat out like Trevor Noah, some great other people. I beat out for male star of the year. I beat out RuPaul. Wow. How about that? Maybe dress a little differently next time, RuPaul, and you'll get mail. There you go. What organization? Well, you're fooling people. <laughs> what? A TV Wait, what show organization fooling? awards mail of the year? Critics' Choice Awards for their okay. for their unscripted. They have an unscripted whole show. Oh, in so, unscripted. Okay. So, so that that this awards is for, I guess, reality. Based show. Is this like the Golden okay. Globes and no one knows exactly who these people are or who are these critics? They're the critics. They're, they're the critics. critics. <laughs> they're television critics. I don't know. Okay. I think they're I think they're fantastic. Why? <laughs> because I'm male <laughs> You got a major award. That's it. That's all we know. Well, you can, don't you wear a crown for the year and a sash or something? <laughs> I should. You I? should, yeah. I, 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 I'm I'm actually amazed that I don't get a little more respect in the world. So when we put this up, we're going to hashtag male of the year. Yeah. What's the, the exact star name of, of the year? Yes. <laughs> uh, well, okay. Is that the microwave? That's that's my timer saying enough already. All right. <laughs> <laughs> okay. If before Phil, before Phil goes, last story before we. <laughs> this happened last time too. This is, okay. Yeah. Phil, Phil 
took me to the best pizza on earth and then told me in Italy where to go for the real best pizza on earth. But the most amazing thing is when we went to do a, everybody was Raymond, like speaking event with the writers and I was moderating, we were in Arizona and he goes, I'm taking you to the best pizza in America. And I'm like, in fucking Arizona? <laughs> and and you took us to the place, what's it called though? Pizzeria Bianco. Yes, Pizzeria Bianco. But the funny thing is, he took us there and it was truly the best pizza I've ever had in America. But then you went back, you went back with someone much more famous than the Raymond writers and myself. Also from New Jersey. Can you tell, yeah, tell that story. That's amazing. <laughs> Jack Nicholson. You took Jack Nicholson there? For pizza. I did. There's got to be more <laughs> of the story. <laughs> the end. <laughs> okay. We were going to basketball. I was I was with a friend of mine who's friends with Jack Nicholson. We took his plane to. I was invited. This is not. I don't All usually right. do this kind of thing, but I was invited. I went. I get on the plane. There's Jack Nicholson. I'm like gobsmacked. <laughs> My only contribution to this evening is I happen to know if before the ball game a place to get very good pizza, maybe the best pizza in America, and. Jack was into it, so of course we're going because it's Jack's world. And we go, and we sit down, and he's like, what was your name again? And I said, Phil, he goes, you you seem to know where good things are. I said, yeah. He goes, you know some other good restaurants in uh, Los Angeles? I said, I'm happy to make a list for you. He goes, I would love that. Nobody ever gives me a good place. I'm like, wow, I'm in. I'm in with oh, Jack. Oh man. And we go, and, you know, we're eating. Everything's great. And um, I remember thinking – do these people know that I'm sitting here with Jack? I'm, I mean, nobody's doing, nobody's going crazy as I would, because this was like 20 years ago. Okay. That's bizarre that he's not being at least approached. Okay. So we get up, we pay, we get up to leave, and the entire restaurant gets up and gives Jack uh. a standing <laughs> ovation, a standing ovation. And he just nods and smiles because he's used to this. Yeah. And we go in the car to the Phoenix uh, Center, whatever that's called. What's that called, David? You know, the whatever the Skyway. The, the, or the Suns. Yeah. The yeah, sun's where the Suns yeah. play. Yeah. We go in and all of a sudden the entire stadium is standing and cheering. Why? Because the moment we walked in, we were on the Jumbotron. <laughs> And they saw Jack Nicholson. So it doesn't matter if you're in a 30-seat pizzeria or a 15,000-seat stadium. Everyone is giving this man, wherever he goes, is standing ovation. All right, Phil, this is a it's a music podcast. Yeah. I, I was looking at your IMDb. You're credited for something called Boy Meets World, the theme song. What's what's? Can you explain this before you I leave? Can. I can. That's called a mistake. <laughs> I was like, "Wow, he can you read on the online." I, I, I know this is going to break a lot of hearts. Not everything online is true. Wow, you saw it on Facebook. It, but no, I'm sorry. I'm not. Even though you're saying it, I'm not going to accept this as, as the truth. But my my IMDb consistently says that I wrote and directed something called "Bitches with Blades." And uh, it <laughs> apparently shows a lot. It shows a lot. Did you put that? Did you put that? Yeah, yourself, yeah I, th like, I think you guys are punking each other. Is what you? Well, there's, okay. there's credits that I want. On there. Like, you can't get like. Does it say male star of the year anywhere? No. Oh. Well, you know what? I'm going to add it. Let's add it. Well, let's yeah. get out to the Wikipedia page. To be fair, Phil, there's still some challenges by your wife that you're <laughs> winning that award. The so male part. Until that's worked through the court system. Male? They put you in as male. 
it's a done deal. He's received the award. So, you know, it doesn't matter what she says. Have I gotten, I don't even think they bother sending you anything. <laughs> well, you have the knowledge that you. Yeah, that's right. You have it. Someone said, <laughs> someone announced it from an I envelope. I to record a thank you. And then they, they put the credit there. So I have that piece of tape. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Can we go out with you singing your famous theme for Boy Meets World? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it could be our new theme song. One day a boy went outside. <laughs> That's By how it way, starts. Like Phil is my most successful friend, but I will say I've never seen anyone who still stayed such a fan with music. Like he's come to like these, uh, you know, Grammy salutes and things like that. Oh, and literally he will go with like Lady Gaga is up singing an Elton John song. He will come and help and sit in the front row and applaud and not like when Bruce, when Bruce played, there was a show for racial tolerance, a like a special we did where it started with 41 shots or whatever with like Sting and John Legend, everyone joining him. We sat in the front row like fanboys. Yeah. 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 And we just, it's, it's like, why do these things if you're not going to enjoy the, the thing of it? Right. right. Uh, Thank you. Yeah. And are you too cool? Why do you have to be too cool to not, you know, oh, like show your emotion about it? In any case, thank you, Phil, for doing yep. this. Phil, well, go go enjoy Bruce Springsteen's 30th birthday party, all right? Much better. Yes. Much better. Yeah. You got it. It was really great. I I, I got more than I was. I got so much uh, joy out he of it. He already talking. said he got more than he wanted. No, no. I, <laughs> when That's I keep, what he said. When I keep talking. He didn't mean it like that. He misspoke. I, no, it's the Enough Already podcast. Oh, my God. <laughs> the, He's complaining about the portions? Yeah. Yes. <laughs> <And small. laughs> they weren't very good, but they were here a long time. Uh, we cannot try to be funny with funny guys. No, I, thank you. Thank you both of you for doing the heavy lifting. We just kind of let you guys go and it was wonderful. I'm exhausted. So, yes. Thank you. But, uh, David <laughs> is used to going on and on and on. Oh, they know the last show <laughs> I was, I, yeah. You were I, on fire. He hadn't slept is the problem. From the last show to Holly. I love meeting you both. David, I enjoyed seeing you again. <laughs> Maybe. Yes. Okay. All right. Thank All right. you, both of you. Thank, thank you, you so much. Thank you so much. This was so fun. Happy so holidays. Much, Enjoy. Thank you so very much. Good night. Have a good Bye. holiday, everybody. Yes, you too. Have thank fun. Yeah. Happy Lovely to meet you. Lovely to meet so you. Nice thank to you meet so you. much. It was a joy. Whew, I, I, um, wow. That was really <laughs> what a treat. That was a lot of fun. Amazing talking to two truly talented individuals yeah they blow they 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 totally blow me away they're they're hilarious they're very funny and very articulate and very passionate about what they do and it was such a treat to talk to them i i could have it was a long chat and i could have talked to them for a lot longer i've loved everybody loves raymond for so long and the family loves somebody feed phil i love going on a journey with them i i feel like i know him even though i don't i'm watching this show so it was great to see that you know he might be a reality star but when he plays in reality he, he's actually that same person in in real life does that even make he's, sense he's real he's real he's yeah, a real we, man he's a real man right he's a real man just ask the critics choice they'll tell you everything he works on like, turns to gold that was we decided my daughter and i decided that we would like to follow along from season one all the way through season four and just 
hit up every place he's been, which I'm sure is not uncommon for viewers of the show. It was a lot of fun with him. Great to talk music with him. And uh, and David Wilde is always a, a treat. And I think that will not be the last you, you see of him, unless he's just had enough of our shenanigans. Um, but, uh, I hope that's not the case. He's such a—he's a great guest and very knowledgeable about so many things, and just has stories. You know, I think he has endless amounts of stories. So we would love to have him back. We'd have both of them back happily. Oh, one hundred percent. Please follow us on YouTube. We've got a YouTube channel, and uh, Holly, why don't you tell us all about that? Check us out at on YouTube at What Difference Does It Make Podcast. We have uh, outtakes from all our interviews. And uh, just some little nuggets that you might not hear on the podcast. So check us out. Also on social media, the secret initials are WDDIM podcast for What Difference Does It Make? If this is your first time listening, welcome to the What Difference Does It Make podcast. Thank you for joining us. Please like, subscribe. We've got more fun ahead in the, in the new year. So uh, keep listening. So until next time, this is Dave. This is Holly. Check you later. Over and out. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points. Fantasy Points.